Welcome back to the Simulated Universe. I'm your host, Riz Verk, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, as you know, we've been talking about the metaverse this season, and today I'm honored to have joined me Kathy Hackle, uh, who is well known in the metaverse space if you've done any amount of research uh, or browsing online about the metaverse. Uh, she is Chief Metaverse Officer for Futures Intelligence Group. Uh, she also has a very successful podcast uh, called Metaverse Marketing. And if you're interested in really diving in depth into any of the topics we talk about today, that's a great podcast to listen to. Uh, and then she also is uh, a part of the Republic Realm Academy, which we'll ask her a little bit about as well. And she has been designated by a number of people out there as the godmother of the metaverse. So Kathy, thanks so much for uh, joining us on this podcast. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, let's start with uh, an easy question. <laughs> I put that in quotes uh, that I, I know you've been asked to answer many times and that you've asked other people to answer, which is what is the metaverse? But the, the spin on it is what are the best definitions of the metaverse mm -hmm. that you have encountered, you know, when you've been out talking to people? Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand that the definition is very fluid right now. Um, you know, last time I went to the dictionary to Miriam Webster, Webster's dictionary and I typed in metaverse said this word is not in the dictionary. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to find a word that's not even there. It might be there by the end of the year or next year. Who knows? Right. At the way at the speed of the way things are going. Um, and what I would say is, you know, very important for people to understand. It's not one company that should define the metaverse and it should not be one one person either that defines it. We're all building it together. So the definition will change and flow. And we're trying to use words of today to define the future, which is always tricky. You know, you and I might look back at this podcast and listen to it in five years and be like, oh my gosh, we sounded so silly, right? We were talking about the information <laughs> superhighway. <laughs> so, yep. um, you know, just like that clip from uh, from Katie Kirk and Brian Gumbel talking about what is the internet? Um, so I think it could, it'll be really funny when we look back on those things. Um, very, you know, I think in, in order to define it, we have to think about, where we've been and where we're going. So web 1.0 connected information and you got the internet. Web 2.0 connected people and you got the sharing economy and you got e-commerce and you got social media and all, all the things that happened with web two. And then web 3.0 kind of where we're heading, we're, we're in the evolution of web 2.0 and, and going into web 3.0, it connects people, places and things. And sometimes these people, places and things or people, spaces and assets. Um, are, uh, you know, in a fully virtual environment. They don't always have to be. It doesn't always have to be fully immersive virtual reality. Uh, there will also be a, you know, it, there will also be our physical world with some level of augmentation uh, through data. So it's like our digital lifestyles catching up to our, you know, to our, to our physical lives and um, convergence of physical and digital. Um, and the metaverse is just I think it's important for people to understand that the term is a sci-fi term, a term that comes from 1992 Snow Crash written by Neil Stevenson. Um, and when he wrote it, <laughs> it was really early days, right? When he wrote it, yep. he, you know, he was a pretty dystopic view of what the future could be. So by no means should we want that future to look like Snow Crash or Ready Player One. Um, you know, I have children. I don't want that future for them. I want it to be, you know, I want the, to make the world a more exciting and engaging place. Um, and it doesn't, you know, another thing, I think when we think about defining the metaverse and you asked about like, which are some of the best definitions, um, the, for me, the ones I've come across where someone actually explains 
that this is not a tug of war, like think squid game where there's a tug of war, right? Um, it's not, a, it's not a tug of war between the physical world and the virtual world. Um, the people that are, you know, the people like me that have an expansive view of the metaverse are not trying to have everyone get pulled in to live in virtual reality forever. That's not the point. We also believe in the physical world, making the physical world more interesting and, and finding more utility. Um, so the, the best definitions are those that allow us to expand, have an expansive view and realize that, you know, it's not, not virtual reality oasis. We don't want to live in the oasis. Right. And those are, you know, different, uh, what, what in academia, sometimes we call different social technical imaginaries, right, yeah. of what the future might look like. And, and so there's different competing visions out there. But maybe we can talk about that that spectrum of different competing visions of the metaverse, right? Perhaps going from, you know, one metaverse to rule them all to mm -hmm. a bunch of smaller metaverses, which looked a lot like today's, you know, Roblox and Fortnite and things like that. Um, you know, what does that spectrum look like? I mean, are those even the right ends of the spectrum or am I missing something there? Well, I think it dep depends on how we define it, right? The word metaverse is still so nebulous. Um, so I almost, I almost come to it this way. I think of, you know, if someone's in New York and they've probably, you know, they, they, they know the term, the tri the greater tri-state area, right? Um, <laughs> so you almost have to think of it as like when people talk about the metaverse with capital M is the greater metaverse. And then within that greater metaverse, capital M, there's these proto metaverses or, or, or meta worlds or metaverses, you know, with lower, lowercase M or however you want to call them, right? Platforms that are within this greater metaverse, right? That's how I see it, right? Those platforms or those meta worlds, some of them are open and decentralized, uh, you know, that have inter interconnectivity and interoperability. There might be some, you know, centralized walled gardens. Um, but I believe that most, you know, at least the future I'm envisioning is more open, um, sometimes decentralized. So, so yeah, I think the question for me, it's really, there is one metaverse with a capital M, uh, but there are multiple meta worlds or platforms or metaverses, lowercase m, but there's only one metaverse, just like there is only one internet. Right, I see. And so you might have a multiverse of metaverses, mm -hmm. you know, within that overall image. Yeah. Well, you know, lowercase m, right? <laughs> lowercase m. <laughs> yes, in a podcast, uh, yeah, it's hard to show that without saying it. Uh, but, uh, you know that that that's quite interesting, but uh, maybe a a more difficult question then would be what's not considered part of the metaverse, or is there anything? Because when we talk about Web 2.0, I mean, first of all, that's a phrase kind of like the information superhighway yeah. that was used really heavily for a few years. I remember that was it like 2005, six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. Uh, and now we don't really use that anymore. It's just you know the internet. Well, we right? use Web so. three. I feel like the this new tech. The new tech, uh, you know, er the new tech era that we're living through, Web3 is, you know, just like people use metaverse, Web3 is also, you know, kind of oh, right. term. Yeah. yeah. It's used quite a bit now, but what I'm saying is Web 2.0 was used quite a bit when we were yeah. building Web 2.0, but it's not used now, mm -hmm. 10 years later so much. Yeah. So it's interesting that Web 3 is being used right now quite heavily and might be for the next few years, perhaps, mm -hmm. or even decade. Um, but is there anything that you would consider, I mean, like I said, maybe this is a harder question, huh, that would not be part of the net metaverse? Yeah. Oof, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, because a lot of things could be, like, you know, IOT is a component of it. 
a lot of things can be connected, even, you know, dentures, you could have smart dentures. Like <laughs> I always think of dentures for some reason. It's like, what is not the better way? But, you know, you oh. can have connected dentures. So they become smart dentures. So they're still part in some ways. Um, I don't <laughs> so I guess connectivity in your case, if things are connected to the metaverse, they become well, part mean, of it. Yeah. I think it's important for people to understand that the metaverse is not one technology, right? Um, yep. You know, because people tend to over-index on virtual reality because that's what, you know, what sci-fi has written about. Um, but no, there's many enabling technologies. So you got AR and VR entry points, you know, our mobile phones are entry points. Um, you've got, you know, blockchain, which is huge and, you know, NFTs in that case. Uh, you've got 5G, 5G plus, 6G, whatever comes next. You've got edge computing. You've got cloud computing. You've got, uh, you know, IoT. You've got AI, um, you know, even, you know, yeah, there's just so many different enabling technologies that make up the metaverse. So what doesn't, you know, what doesn't, I don't know. Well, I like your maybe example of dentures. <laughs> maybe a crayon that has no connectivity, no QR code. Um, maybe that does not, <laughs> maybe that's not a part of the, um, right. of the metaverse. Okay, great. Well, let, let's switch gears a little bit because there are so many different aspects to it. You know, I sometimes call them the threads of the metaverse, really. And, and one of them uh, that, that I'm intrigued by is that seems to unite at least most of the definitions, although not all of them, is this idea of avatars, right? And yeah. having an embodied uh, identity for yourself, whether it's in VRA or not, it's this idea of representing yourself as an avatar. Um, and, and so in, in, in your research and in your conversations, you know, both on the brand marketing side and the technology guys, like, you know, is our avatars central to the metaverse, first of all? And secondly, you know, what have you seen in terms of people choosing identities for their avatars? And are there sort of interesting issues that come up in how you choose yeah. how to represent yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think avatars are, are definitely a very important part, um, right? Just probably you, like myself and many of the people listening, you're already sending messages, text messages that only have little images and emojis to try to, you know, to try to, you're not writing a sentence, you're sending an emoji. And these emojis become emotional surrogates of sorts. So by extension, our avatars become emotional surrogates and representation of ourselves. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're starting to see, you know, and I see it with my children, like the way they dress in these virtual spaces is very important to them. Uh, I would, would even wager to say that we probably, you know, personally, my family probably spends more money uh, on, on virtual goods outfitting their <laughs> avatars than when I go to Target because they hate going shopping. Um, so, so yeah, you know, there is a lot that is happening in that space, and and it is about identity. It is about you know who can we be in these virtual spaces where we might not have to respect the boundaries of physics. Right. So, so it is about identity and my podcast, um, I would say the toughest episode uh, that we worked on was the one about identity. Um, it, it was, you know, we had to be a little uncomfortable uh, with that conversation when we got a little uncomfortable. We talked about, you know, gender and we talked about uh, bias and we talked about a lot of things when it comes to to our avatars and, you know, and, and kind of our how we how we envision representing ourselves. Um, I do see a bit of a generational divide there where maybe, you know, you know, Gen, Gen X and up, when they think avatar, they immediately think a, a, a representation of themselves that looks like themselves, hmm. right? Uh, they, they don't want, you know, that, that's kind of some of the things that I've noticed is that they want an avatar that kind of looks like them. 
some hmm. ways, whereas younger generations are more open to having an avatar that is completely different, or that could be a different gender, or that could be, you know, a, a unicorn. <laughs> um, <laughs> they can be a purple dragon if they want to. So, so I think that that there's a lot of conversation that we need to have around that. Um, you know, even I would say there, there's two interesting things that conversations that I've had lately around that. And we were talking about, you know, there are people that are differently abled that have been able to find almost kind of a freedom of sorts in these virtual spaces because they don't have to be confined to a wheelchair or they don't have to be, you know, you know, they don't have to like, it does, the physical world does not need to be parallel to the virtual world. Um, but then again, in the conversation I was having, one of the people said, said to me, like, that's really interesting. But when we've been designing avatars, we have had people that are differently abled in other cases that say we want the wheelchair. We want to be able to have the wheelchair in, in, in the virtual space or people that come into the space where there's no wheelchair and their avatars walking and they just feel it's too emotionally heavy for them to, to see themselves walking in avatar form. So there's so many considerations that many of us may, might not be thinking about uh, when it comes to how we represent ourselves in these spaces, right? So that's one of them. And then for me, um, sometimes for fun, I'll, I'll change my avatar and maybe go into a space and have more of a male avatar to try to see if there is a difference, right? You know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be talking. It's more me kind of going in and just, you know, seeing if there's a difference and there's a little bit of one, right? There is a little bit of a, a different way that maybe someone approaches me or, or engages with me. So, so there's a lot of questions, right? There's, there's a lot of bias and a lot of things that we're bringing in from the physical world into the virtual one. So we need to find ways to figure some things out, maybe alleviate those. Um, you know, I even wonder, like, is there some bias that is created in the virtual world that we haven't even thought of? Um, you know, so some biases will be solved because, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily see skin tone or you don't necessarily see weight. But maybe are there other biases that would come with with avatars in the future? So so, yeah, the identity part. Um, you know, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about our avatars, how we represent ourselves. Um, you know, are we going to have multiple identities uh, tied to our blockchain, right? To our to to our wallet or wh whatever it is. But you know, can I choose to be different people? Well, that that's you know brings up a lot of interesting points there. And and I remember, you know, in let's call it Metaverse 1.0, which may perhaps could be thought of as Second Life, you know, about ten years ago. And I know if you went in with a female avatar versus a male avatar, you would definitely get like very different treatment. And so I don't know if that's, you know, still often the case or not, but, but also there have even been, you know, research studies, I think with the metaverse, you know, using that terminology, there aren't as many today, but there were quite a few done ab about a decade ago in, in this era that I'm talking about where, you know, having a different skin tone inside uh, a virtual world with an avatar, you could see how people treat you differently. And then it's, it, supposedly increases empathy. Uh, and so it becomes part of the, you know, how to be a non-racist, I guess, theme, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, but yeah, so getting to this, that last point that you made. Uh, so what about uh, this idea of a single identity or a single avatar? And th this touches on perhaps one of the biggest challenges of building the metaverse, which is interoperability. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and so, you know, is it possible today for me to have a single avatar that I use in more than one place? And, and how, how long will it take us to get there? Uh, and do you see that ever happening or is it still yeah. going to be different avatars in different places? I mean, you can already do some of that with like Ready Player Me, um, you know, that has a lot of different developers that are using it. So you can, 
you know, you can wear it in the central land and then go maybe another place and wear it. So um, there are opportunities for interoperability. Is it seamless and is it is it easy? Not necessarily. <laughs> um, <I think laughs> yeah, we had Timu. We had Timu from Ready Player yeah. Me on the podcast a few episodes. Yeah, ago as well, he's so. great. So, so I think that there's, you know, there are challenges. You almost have to think of. It's interesting because you almost have to think about the future. If we do have an open, decentralized uh, metaverse that many of us envision, you know, who sets the standards, right? Because it's data. You're transferring data from one place to another. How does each place, you know, interpret the data? Um, so it's almost like a, a, I don't want to call it a battle, um, but I think there will be, you know, who, who, which standard wins over which standard over another, right? So, yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to watch the next couple of years. Someone asked me today, like, what organizations are already looking at standards? And I said, well, I mean, the XR Safety Initiative has some standards that they've put out. Uh, IEEE has, I believe, a working group looking at um, standards for virtual goods. So we'll see, you know, we'll see where that comes from, like who, 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 creates, the, who creates a standard that most of the industry can get behind. Right, because right now it doesn't seem, I mean, I asked Timu about this, are there mm -hmm. standards for avatars? And he said, well, it's not just about the file formats. It's that each environment, you know, yeah. adds on things in a different way. In terms yeah, of everyone looks different. Yeah, your avatar, the things you wear on Roblox look different than they do in Fortnite, right? So, right. yeah. So how, how does that data move from one place to another and be interpreted in the same way? Does it change? Uh, you know, so I think that idea of a standard the standard, whatever it is, right? <laughs> who wins, the, who, who, you know, which standard wins over which other? And, you know, is there a battle that's going to brew there? Yeah. And oftentimes these standards end up being, you know, not so much uh, bodies, but ends up being which, you know, wh which particular environment is winning. And then that becomes the de facto standard, right? <laughs> kind of like dot, dot, doc or doc X, right? Yeah. Everybody's saying that's the best file format, but it's so widely used that everybody ends up adapting it. Um, now, I know you're involved quite a bit with uh, brands and the metaverse and NFTs uh, are one way for them to kind of have objects, digital objects that represent that brand. And so what are brands saying about this idea of interoperability? Are they, are they, you know, thinking about it? Are they concerned about it? When they create an NFT, do they want to know where can this NFT be, you know, used even if it's just for vanity purposes or self-expression purposes? Um, I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's considerations. I think there's things that they're thinking through right now. Uh, some more than others, some are more progressive than others, right? Um, <laughs> so it's definitely a question in some of the brand's uh, team's minds, right? It doesn't mean that everyone is thinking through it or everyone wants to do it right now. Um, but I, I do think some of the most, some of the more progressive brands that I work with that are more future, future thinking and future forward um, are definitely starting to think about that, you know, and I can't really disclose the names of my clients just <laughs> out of privacy and NDAs. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, I would definitely say that it's a question on the minds of some of the folks, uh, some of the brands that I'm working with. Well, in terms of the, the brands that have released NFTs already, so we're talking about kind of public NFTs, are, are there any that you found that are kind of particularly innovative? It could be brands you worked with or not worked with in the past that you just think are cool. Uh, you know, perhaps yeah, you can give I mean, some examples of those. It's changing so fast, right? It's, yeah. it's like every week is a new, a new NFT. Uh, I mean, I think the Cedron NFT from Estelle, Estelle Artois when it first came out was pretty exciting, uh, which was skins for horses. Um, because because like Stella Artois and AVM Bev um, sponsor 
some of the, you know, some of the most recognized horse races in Europe. So it just made sense. It, it was actually a really good, um, a really good way for them to transition into, into NFTs. You know, I'm biased. I worked with, uh, with Estee, the Estee Lauder companies with Clinique to launch their first, uh, to, co- to co-develop their first NFT. And that was focused on utility and community. So definitely think they did a really good job. Um, and, and, what, and when you say they did a really good job and with community, like where was that community of NFTs? Like which blockchain was it? And was it, could you use those goods or could you wear them in any gaming environment? Or was it just, hey, own these NFTs, you know, uh, on this particular blockchain? Yeah. yeah so I think their, their main focus was bringing the community that they already had. Uh, into the metaverse. So it wasn't so much tapping into the crypto community, even though the crypto community was invited to be a part of it. Um, but it was, you know, using the people that are already loyal, um, uh, you know, loyal Clinique fans to enter the metaverse, to use their stories to transact and enter the metaverse. So it was more of a giveaway. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was no interoperability because it was three NFTs. It was very, you know, a little bit conservative, but I think a yeah. big step for a brand like Clinique with an Estee Lauder. Um, so the whole idea and the concept there is we created three NFTs called Meta Optimist um, that, um, you know, that were that basically the loyal, the loyal community would submit stories through social media. So they're the way they transact is through through social stories. And um, yeah. And, you know, Amelia Clark from uh, from Game of Thrones. Um, you know, uh, Game of Thrones uh, fame, Game of Thrones fame, and, and sorry, Daenerys, from, the, the, yeah. Daenerys, yeah, from Game of Thrones fame, and <laughs> Melissa Barrera, and, and a group of folks um, are selecting the winners. So they will select three people that will have the first Clinique NFTs. Those NFTs will live in their wallets and gives them, um, you know, not only bragging rights of let's say they have the first Clinique NFT, but it also gives them um, access to a decade of makeup, which is, you know, pretty big utility <laughs> if you like makeup. Um, <laughs> and then also early access to some of their viral hits. So they have something called a lipstick called Black Honey, uh, which went viral on TikTok and no one can get their hands on because there's there's none available. So when that, be- when that becomes available again, um, the NFT winners have early access to that and other products that are viral and completely sold out. Um, so yeah, th- I think the concept there was thinking, what is the utility? What are we providing? Um, but also how do we bring our community, the community that already likes Clinique, that already buys Clinique into, uh, into the metaverse? And um, yeah, and then how to create something, you know, I don't think it was like for them, it wasn't about putting crypto art and selling it. It was more about engaging their community. And, and one, that's one of the big things that I think when I think of, uh, of, you know, of the metaverse is community and authenticity are kings. Mm, that's a great example. Great. Well, I'm going to transition now to talk a little bit about what I think are some tensions that I see in the definitions of the metaverse and the way that different people view them. And I'd love to get your comments on these. So the first is games, playing games versus working or collaborating, right? And so you have maybe Facebook versus Microsoft <laughs> might be a, a good way to think about this or Fortnite versus, uh, I don't know, something that's a little more decentralized. But what are your thoughts about, you know, socializing or playing games versus doing work uh, and, and commerce in, in the metaverse? Hmm. I mean, you know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they kept saying, you know, for the longest time, work has been something hard for humans, right? Normally it used to be very physical, now it's less physical, but it's taxing, right? 
And in some ways, we're starting to gamify more of that. So will work become more gamified and more fun? Um, and I think that that's one of the questions we should be asking. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think the play to earn side of things, NFT gaming is very interesting. Uh, I know you're friends with Dirk uh, from from Upland as well. So, you know, I think the things that that company's doing are, are quite interesting. And, you know, there's even, I, I think you might've mentioned it, but there's even um, uh, someone that plays Upland that is going to be, <laughs> that is quitting their jobs and they're going to go, uh, you know, drive around the United States and live off of what they're making in Upland. So, so yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, so people who are going to be living and working in, in, yeah. in, in so the So that would be work, but it's still gaming, right? So so I think it's going to be a mix. I think it's going to be a really exciting mix. I mean, some some careers, not all careers, right? If you are, you know, if you are, um, you know, a, a cook or something like that, then you know, some things might be gamified, but you still <laughs> you still have to do the cooking, right? Um, so so yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting. Well, well, that's neat. So as we think of it that way, maybe there's three uh, different ends of the spectrum. There's using the metaverse at work for your existing job. Then there's playing games and socializing. And perhaps in the middle is this area that you just described with this example from Upland or, you know, I used to know people who had jobs, you know, in Second Life back in the day, right? I mean, they would get on at 10 p.m. every night to be a bartender at a virtual bar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally every night they would log in and say, I have to go to work. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, so maybe content creators like in Roblox would fall into that. I mean, is that a career that like your kids would aspire to, like to create content within uh, Roblox? Well, or within my, my son's already a Roblox developer um, and they do like Roblox studios. So I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, what kid, what kid wouldn't want that? Right. Um, this is a really interesting part is that I think that the younger generations, the people that come into the workforce and into corporate America nowadays, some of them come in, come with built-in audiences, right? So that's a totally different podcast and a totally different question. But how do you know how does how are companies going to be able to manage that and leverage that, right? When some of these kids are coming in with built-in audiences because they're gamers and they already have people that follow them and like them. Yeah, and why would these kids want to work in traditional jobs too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. So are we creating a new kind of career force or workforce? That's pretty mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So another uh, tension that I'm seeing, and you've kind of brought it up a few times as well, is between centralized versus decentralized, right? Mm -hmm. Blockchain versus, you know, this is the Oasis or, the, or Facebook's metaverse or <laughs> Apple's metaverse or Roblox's metaverse, right? And, and, and so, you know, what about that tension? Like, is everyone who's jumping in the metaverse now thinking about blockchain or is it still considered it's almost like they're these two separate kind of communities if you will <laughs> that yeah, are yeah i don't think everyone's thinking blockchain i think people are still wrapping their heads around it so i wouldn't say everyone's thinking blockchain i mean it does feel like everyone in gaming and technology is trying to understand nft gaming uh that seemed to be you know where a lot of the where a lot of investments going and sorts of things but you know is every brand thinking about nft about decentralized you know, maybe they have initial questions, but are they ready to go in? I'm not sure. So. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's quite interesting because it, it seems to me that, you know, this is one of the problems with sort of metaverse 1.0. Again, I'm uh, thinking back to the second life days was it was just the virtual currency lend in dollars. And now we have these virtual currencies that are, 
you know, just within each of these environments, whether it's VBucks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But with blockchain, you know, it, will Bitcoin and other, uh, other crypto be the de facto currency of, of the metaverse? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's about digital ownership of digital assets, right? So how do we actually do that? You know, right now you have crypto, but you also have digital currencies inside games. So, you know, if someone like, uh, yeah, if someone like Roblox goes the NFT route, then what what digital currency is it? Do they have their own digital currency? Do they adopt uh, one of the digital currencies? I mean, I still, I don't, you know, it's hard to answer that because we still don't know, you know, there's still so many blockchains and so many coins in, you know, if someone says, you know, if someone's a maximalist and says only this one's going to work, you know, how can they guarantee that that's the truth? So, so yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have an answer for that, to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those, I mean, that's why there's a tension for it right now as well in that area. Um, okay. So you, you talked about VR and AR earlier, right? So how much of the metaverse is kind of an embedded immersive environment and how much is uh, augmented reality in the world around us? I mean, are they really a spectrum? Are they separate? And maybe what are some interesting examples of you yeah. know, in the augmented reality space that you've seen out there? Yeah, I think eventually they might be the same thing, but initially augmented reality is going to be a bigger part of the pie. That's always how it's been envisioned. Um, you know, like most people, that, that's, I think what, what most of us in the industry, you know, look and you know, understand and see, uh, right now. Cause you know, the current limitations in the headsets, like what's your limit risk, for example, like mine, you know, I, I can be in a VR headset for about 45 minutes, uh, at a stretch. And after that, I start feeling a little uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, whereas in the real world, <laughs> I can be in the real world 24 hours. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, you know, it'll depend, um, you know, even if you look at the, you know, at the estimates and the projections, augmented reality is definitely a bigger part of it. Um, you know, there are, you know, there might be a future where the wearable that does AR will do some level of AR, of, of VR, right? So it might be both. It might be a spectrum, um, but yeah, you know, I definitely think the what John Hankey calls the real world, real real world metaverse is what excites me the most when it comes to the AR side of the, of the house. Um, yep. So I, I I still think we'll be thinking AR um, bigger than VR, but it might they might just be the same thing eventually, right? Who knows? Right, as these things merge together. Speaking of that, did you see the? Uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek Iceland video that came out after uh, the, yeah. the Facebook metaverse. And they call it, they call it the Iceland-verse, I think they called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that yeah, was kind was of really fun. It was really good. You know, it was really fun. I think it, it's, for me, it struck the right tone between, you know, making fun, <laughs> making fun of that, but also uh, grabbing onto a moment in time, right, that everyone was paying attention to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I want to go to the Iceland first for sure. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really funny. He's like, you can touch it. Water is wet. Um, I recommend anyone, you know, if anyone hasn't seen it by this point, but definitely, you know, it was a fun, a fun, a fun video and, um, you know, a good, uh, a good, um, marketing lesson for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about a uh, human interface for the metaverse. I mean, we, we talked about the headset and the limits. 
there's obviously AR glasses. I mean, what are some of the cool controllers or other types of interfaces you've heard about or, or seen out there that could end up playing a role in the metaverse? Yeah, I think the big question is, how do we interface with technology in a more human-centered way, right? Because, you know, that right now we're, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a keyboard, I've got a mouse, and I'm used to them, but is it really the most natural way? I don't know. Um, you know, then we start to think about brain-computer interface. Is it that, or is it somewhere in between, in the middle? Um, I, I'm very curious, you know, I have to say, um, Control Labs, the company that um, Meta, you know, formerly Facebook, <laughs> Uh, the MetaBot that does neural interfaces more so on the arm. I thought that was a really interesting use of the technology um, beyond brain-computer interface. It's more neural interfaces. And I find that really, really interesting, right? Uh, there is something about connect, putting something on your head and using your brain waves that scares people. It doesn't <laughs> scare me. Uh, I'm a, I've been a guinea pig. I've tried about three or four of these external brain-computer interface, interface devices. So I'm not, I'm not scared of it. Like I'm a guinea pig myself for these technologies. Uh, but yeah, I think that generally a lot of people find that a little uncomfortable or a little scary. Um, you know, like I, I'm not ready to get a Neuralink, right? I'm not, really, <laughs> not ready for that. Um, so I think some neural interface, like, like what Control Labs have been working on is really interesting, especially when you have, <clears throat> you know, especially when you move away from the phone into some type of wearable, you know, I think voice is going to be incredibly important, but there has to be some other way for us to, to engage with that digital content beyond voice, right? And, and, and how do we use our hands? How do we manipulate things? Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, you know? It'll be very, very interesting. Yeah, so you said you've tried on a few of these. Like, which ones worked the best? Was it the, the reality <laughs> labs or were there other ones that did uh, that worked pretty? And these are all non-invasive, just so people know. Non-invasive, they're as external BCIs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I did, um, I've done uh, Neurable, which they're, they're based in Boston, doing really, really interesting things. The CEO there is fantastic. Um, so they were very interesting. NextMind as well, they're based out of Paris. Um, the calibration process for NextMind, at least the one that I demoed, was very fast. I was quite impressed. Uh, I actually have a NextMind device myself. Uh, then there's the um, no, uh, no Notion, I cannot remember the name of the company right now. Um, Alex Castillo, um, but yeah, he's, he, the device is called Notion, and I cannot remember the name of the company right now, but those are some of the ones I've, that I can say I've, uh, you know, that I can publicly say I've demoed. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say like which one's the best. I think they're a little bit different. Um, I will say with the next mind, the calibration was quite quick, um, but I'm excited to see like with Norable, they have some headphones that I bought. Um, they had a Kickstarter and I bought some of the headphones. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, let's see, let's see how these, you know, how these devices actually work. And in, um, in, in which ones, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. It's early. It's still, you know, it's early in the metaverse. It's early for BCI as well. Yeah. In fact, may even be earlier for BCI. Do they all yeah. use different? I mean, I know this is an area you've looked into. Do they all use different signals or are they all relying on the same, you know, EEG type signals or are some of them like that looking I'm at not muscles? sure, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we had a, With we did some have some of them. Uh, I haven't spent that much time. So I, I no, I have no idea from a technical perspective. <laughs> um, it's been, you know, a demo maybe here or there. So I'm not sure. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Well, um, how about, you know, I've talked about avatars in the metaverse, uh, but how about like residents of the metaverse? I mean, I know you, you were involved in, um, 
some, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast or it was a clubhouse with kooky.ai. And, and I think uh, Lauren was, who was on this show was on your uh, uh, podcast as well. But I mean, are you seeing, you know, uh, AI being married to avatars uh, to create like this whole new set of residents of the metaverse that will live there? Uh, and are you, you know, are there any interesting ones in that area that, that you've looked at? Do you think that's a big part of the future of the metaverse or, or not oh, really? I think so. Um, I would say, you know, Kuki is very interesting the way she's evolved over the last couple of months, um, you know, using MetaHuman. I think she's evolved in how she looks and, and everything. Um, definitely very, very interested in what Lauren and her team are working on. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, the, the reason I'm interested in this is because when I worked at Magic Leap, we had a virtual human and her name was Micah. Um, mm. I, I believe she's still, you know, she possibly she's still being worked on at Magic Leap. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I think the whole focus with Micah was to create a human-centered artificial intelligence, um, a way for us to engage with artificial intelligence beyond the creepy, beyond envisioning it as a gadget, right? So the experiences with Micah were really, for me, um, they really changed my mindset in the sense that you know, you would see someone engage with Micah. So they would put the magic leap on and they would sit at a table and across them, they would see Micah. And Micah wouldn't speak at that time. I don't know if she speaks currently, um, but Micah would smile and they would smile back because it's a human reaction. Or sometimes she would yawn, you would see someone yawn. like, And they would have this experience, this collaborative experience with this artificial intelligence that, you know, they can only see through the device that only exists in a virtual, in virtual form. She's not there physically. Huh. But you would see people engaging with her, not fear, not scared. And sometimes it would be pure joy and excitement. So for me, it was really transformative to see humans interacting with virtual beings in these types of settings. You know, we would bring her to a few conferences and it was always really interesting to watch human, like our human nature engaging with a human embodiment, a, a more human centered embodiment of technology and how, how people engaged with her. Um, so yeah, I do think that there will be uh, some elements of the virtual beings that will inhabit these virtual spaces that will become, you know, our helpers and our friends or maybe potentially extensions of ourselves. So, so yeah, I do think there is a place for that type of embodiment. Yeah, you know, I just tried out uh, or looked at some videos of Digital Einstein. Have you seen that? It's another yeah. uh, kind of digital human. Uh, I think it was a university in Israel that uh, had put it out. And you can talk to Albert Einstein and he speaks with the accent and they've used some AI there. Uh, so, so that's kind of interesting. I do think that, you know, if we get to a certain point where there are, there are all these AI characters, um, you know, will we have a, a different set of problems, right? I mean, would I know that your avatar is not really a human? But an AI, right? Um, I mean, do you do you foresee a, a future metaverse where you're walking around and you don't know if you're interacting with people or, or with uh, AI characters? I mean, maybe in a game, um, maybe in a game where the goal is is that, or where you know you're <laughs> going to be engaging with NPC AI NPCs. Um, you know, I do think we will need some types of disclaimers. Um, you know, is this a human or an AI? Eventually, we might need that. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We're, we're all building it. I, I think the big thing for me is when people ask me about the metaverse and they want to put a time and date on it. When is the metaverse with capital M here? <laughs> I think, well, no one really knows. We're building it. This next decade is a decade of building where we're going to, you know, creating, we're creating the infrastructure and we're creating some of the layers. Um, but this is an ongoing process. And when do we know when we've arrived? 
th that's the question, right? It's going to be a process. Just when, you know, when people are like, well, the mobile internet, like it, the iPhone came out, it doesn't mean everyone absolutely went and got an iPhone, right? People still had Blackberries and, you know, it wasn't until maybe the, uh, the app store that more people were like migrating um, and it became what it became. So it's a process, right? It's a process. There's going to be a lot of things that come up. There's going to be a lot, of, a lot of challenges that will come up that we have no idea. Um, there's going to be solutions as well, right? There's going to be solutions that we have never envisioned. Um, but that's why I think trying to think through Web3 and some of the things that happened in Web2 that have caused division and have caused is issues in our physical world and in how we live our, our digital lives, I think that we need to have those conversations today to get ahead of them. Right to try to to try to not exacerbate or or you know we are going to be bringing some of these issues from Web 2.0 into Web 3.0, but how can we start solving for them or not exacerbating them or figuring out ways to solve some of these issues? So that's a, a very important thing for me um, as a mom, a mom of three kids to to think about. You know, yeah, I I want Web 3 to be different. I want Web 3 to be built by you know, a very diverse group of people, women, people of color, you name it. I want those people to feel that they're welcome in building this future and that this future is not only dictated by one type of person. Yep. That's, uh, you know, that's a great way to think about it. And that's a way to, to think about how we might avoid some of the problems of the past. Are there other things that could go wrong so that, you know, five years from now, we're not talking about the metaverse anymore. And uh, just yeah. as an example, you know, with VR, if you remember five years ago, there was a lot of excitement uh, within Silicon Valley and beyond. And then for a while, you know, the VR headset adoption wasn't there. Now it's kind of back with this metaverse. But are there things that could happen that derail this whole idea of the metaverse? I mean, yeah. I mean, there could be cataclysmic climate, uh, you know, impacts that <laughs> could take out all this, you know, all the data centers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's what I tell people. I, so I live in, in, in right outside Washington, DC. Um, I live about 45 minutes from Ashram, Virginia and, and Ashram, Virginia is where you have most of the data centers. Like it's a, one of the biggest data centers areas in the world. There's an estimate that 70% of the world's internet traffic goes through Ashburn, right? So it's inland, but if there's some barring kind of cataclysmic kind of situation, if it takes out all the data centers there, uh, you know, bye-bye metaverse for a bit. Um, so, so I think that, you know, yeah, there are things that could happen um, that could derail the creation of the metaverse. I hope they don't happen because then we have more, we have bigger problems to think about if, you know, if, if climate change takes out all the data centers, I think we have a lot of problems, a lot of bigger problems to think about. So yeah, there's many things that could happen that would derail that. <laughs> well, I like that perspective that if that happens, then bye-bye metaverse is probably not our biggest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not our biggest worry at that point. <laughs> right. Makes sense. Cool. Well, you know, when I introduced you, we, we mentioned uh, Republic Realm Academy. Do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit as well? Yeah. So one of the things um, th that I've been working through, I, a, lot of, a lot of what I do when I go on podcasts and when I speak, you know, to media or even in my LinkedIn is try to educate people, right? And try to help them feel comfortable with the future and what's coming. So um, Janine Yorio, who runs Republic Realm, um, she and I connected as two, you know, leader, female leaders in, in the space, and we decided to launch uh, Republic Realm Academy. And the goal here is executive education uh, for non-technical folks. So this is not like you're not going to learn to be an Ethereum developer. 
Um, that's not what we're trying to do. Um, this is for professionals, executives um, that are wanting to understand the metaverse, wanting to understand Web3, NFTs, and kind of up-level um, their understanding, their business understanding on strategy and, and, and you know what these technologies mean for their business. Uh, so yeah, it's for executives, it's for professionals across different parts of, of organizations. It's for uh, people that might want a career change that maybe are in a different uh, area and they want to kind of they want to be part of Web three, and they want to start to think about how they become part of that industry of, of this, you know, of this new era, new era for tech, or even for you know students that want to complement uh, what they're learning in their MBA program or business school or marketing school or whatever it is that they're doing. So yeah, it's it's um, it's 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 executive education for uh, you know to up level skills and have people feel more comfortable with the metaverse. Uh, we are creating also with it, you know, once we have more cohorts, there's going to be an alumni network um, as well that, you know, is going to be really exciting as well. So, so yeah, um, the cool thing also is like when you pay for, uh, when you enroll in uh, Republic Realm Academy, uh, you will be getting an NFT and this non-fungible token will be what unlocks your access to the content and to the alumni network uh, and everything. So yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. Oh, there's a innovative use of NFTs right there. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, uh, I want to thank you for your time. Let me let me give you one last question since you kind of brought up uh, this idea of career paths. And I think, uh, you know, many people have heard about your work because of the metaverse. And but those of us who've been following you for a while know that you've been writing about this, you know, not just the last year or two when that term metaverse has become popular, but really for quite a few years, right? And with mm-hmm. Forbes and virtual reality and augmented reality. And, and so what advice would you have to people who, you know, perhaps want to become the, the future godmother of the metaverse? <laughs> like, like, how did you get to this point? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what was it like? And what do you have any advice for people who are interested in, in these kinds of things? Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, I've had to work really hard. Um, you know, I've been in, in metaverse related industries for almost eight years now. Um, you know, worked at HTC Vive, worked at Magic Leap, worked at Amazon Web Services. So I've been, I've been, I've been doing this for a while. Um, I've worked really hard. Um, you know, sometimes I am second guess because I am a woman, um, hmm. be hundred percent honest, but yeah. the work I'm putting in right now is going to help more women not be second guessed, uh, or be second or be get, you know, second guess less. <laughs> um, so, so I think that that's important. So my message to, to, you know, especially women or, you know, minorities that might be listening to this is, you know, you are welcome in this future. You can build this future with us. Um, now is your time to build. I always say in the metaverse, we're all world builders and now is the time for you to build. Um, so it's an exciting time to be a part of it. You are welcome in this future. You are part of this future. Let's build it together. And, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to keep blazing the trail and, uh, keep moving forward. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't care about the people that second guess me. I've put in the work, uh, I've been inside these companies so, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to keep blazing the trail and uh, and leaving opportunities, you know, and opening opportunities for more people um, of diverse backgrounds and especially for my girls and my children. So, Well, great. That's a perfect way, I think, to, to wrap up this podcast. And, you know, where, where can people kind of find you online if you have any uh, uh, handles or URLs to share? Yeah. I mean, I'll put them into the description. <laughs> but if there's any you want to mention now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Twitter, I'm Kathy Hackle, C-A-T-H-Y-H-A-C-K-L. So hack with an L, very 3.0. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then, yeah, Kathy Hackle across all social media platforms. And then if you're interested in Republic Realm, you can go to republicrealm.com and look for education. You'll find the academy there. Great. Well, thanks so much for you know taking the time. I know everyone is uh, requesting your time these days because the metaverse <laughs> has become such a hot topic of conversation. So uh, thanks again for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you.